we're gonna go and see if we can get inside. So let's, uh, let's see if we can get in. Yeah, you we're do it. <laughs> you go and storm your own Alamo, girlfriend. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF, amongst other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and streaming. For example, Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, where we stream five days a week, blanketing planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, we'll get to that, uh, what they're calling Brooks, the Brooks Brothers Riot 2.0 <laughs> today in, uh, in the U.S. House. We'll get to that soon enough. Uh, but I am so glad this other issue has finally come up in a court of law. A federal appeals court, of all places, in Manhattan... Uh, on Wednesday, in fact, I have been for months, maybe years now, railing on this absurd memo, this decades-old non-binding legal opinion from the DOJ's Office of Legal Counsel that a sitting president may not be indicted, noting that it is only, not only weak constitutionally, but frankly absurd on its face. The premise is that a president cannot be criminally charged, cannot be criminally indicted because he's too busy as president to face those charges. His duties to the country are just too important for him to be distracted by a criminal trial and the possibility of going to jail for his crime. That's the theory. That's what the uh, Office of Legal Counsel, or, or OLC, has, uh, has claimed now for many, many years based on this w weak memo that was drafted decades ago at this point. And nonetheless, that special counsel, Robert Mueller, used, cited in, in uh, justifying not indicting the president for the multiple instances of unlawful obstruction of justice that he painstakingly detailed in his report based on his two years of investigation. It was all because of this OLC memo. 
Now, uh, at the time and and even beforehand, when he came out with his report, I had argued that it was a ridiculous premise, this OLC memo, memo. For one, the 25th Amendment added to the Constitution after the OLC memo came up with that opinion. The 25th Amendment allows for a president to be replaced temporarily, if necessarily, by if necessary, by the vice president. If the president Uh, him or herself, is unable to serve for any reason whatsoever. That provision did not exist before the original OLC opinion and would seem to, frankly, nullify it because, well, they claim, oh, he's too busy. There's there's uh, he, he can't take the time to face these charges. Well, he can take the time. He can take all the time he wants as the vice president steps in. Uh, as the vice president does, if, for example, the uh, the president has to go under anesthesia for an operation or something, there are, uh, you know, methods that deal with that that have the vice president stand in as the acting president for a time. So it, it didn't make any sense uh, before the 25th Amendment. Um but it makes even less sense now since that has been added. Before the adoption of the 25th Amendment, the framers foresaw a sitting president facing a trial in the U.S. Senate for removal from office following a vote of impeachment in the U.S. House. So apparently the framers thought, well, that can happen. The president has the time to do that. But the OLC, a couple hundred years later, comes out with this decision. No, they can't. He he would be. Yes, sure. He can face a trial in the uh, in the Senate, but he can't face a criminal child that uh, a trial. That was the premise. So apparently, you know, the president has plenty of time to go on trial for impeachment. That's just fine, according to the founders, but not for criminal charges on, let's say, fraud or obstructing a major criminal and counterintelligence investigation by federal authorities, as in the Mueller probe? Or how about uh, if he directed a criminal campaign finance conspiracy to win the presidency in the first place, to win an election by paying off a porn star just before the election so that she would stay quiet about the affair that they had? And then adding to that hush money once elected by secretly repaying the attorney that he had authorized in that conspiracy to pay the hush money to the porn star in the first place. None of that. None of that can be uh, brought uh, under criminal charges while the president is in office. Really? Participating in that unlawful conspiracy is part of the reason that hush money conspiracy, that's part of the reason that Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's lawyer, is now serving years in federal prison. While the man that both he and federal prosecutors say directed that actual conspiracy, Donald Trump, is supposedly immune from any and all criminal charges, at least while in office, for directing that same criminal conspiracy, just because he became president, thanks in no small part to that criminal conspiracy. Now, it makes no sense to me. Does it make sense to you? No, Does absolutely you I, not. I, I, uh, I mean, it, it basically is arguing that the president is above the law in all cases, and I do not believe that that's what the framers believed. I, I can't imagine that's what they believed. It makes no sense uh, to me, but of course, I am not a, uh, a, a DOJ lawyer, not a lawyer at all for that matter, but I do have common sense. And this OLC opinion seems to make no sense whatsoever. 
How about murder? Are you telling me that if a, a president, let's say Donald Trump, actually shot someone on Fifth Avenue in broad daylight, as he has joked about in the past, that law enforcement authorities would be unable to do anything about it? They could do absolutely nothing to obtain and indict the murderer because the murderer in this case happens to be the president of the United States and thus has absolute immunity from criminal charges, according to this flimsy decade, decades old OLC opinion. Really? Even charges of murder in broad daylight? The police would be able to do nothing about that. The president the shooter in this case could not be stopped. He could not be stopped from shooting someone else after he shot the first person, right? And prosecutors could not bring murder charges against him. The president, if he wanted to, I guess, would then be free to go shoot more people on Fifth Avenue or any other avenue. Really? So clearly, this seems to me, at least, to make no sense. The OLC opinion uh, never made any sense. And it, it may have made somewhat more sense, though not much, prior to the adoption of the 25th Amendment, but now it makes zero sense. I had uh, harangued, I don't know if that's a good way to put it, I had harangued uh, Ted Kahlo when he uh, was on the show. He's the former House Judiciary <coughs> Chief Counsel. Uh, he was on the show a few months back, and I had sort of harangued him to urge his former colleagues on uh, on the Judiciary Committee in the House to hold a hearing or two on that ridiculous memo and this ridiculous idea that a sitting president may be impeached but may not be charged with a criminal act. The hearing could have been titled, Can a Sitting President Be Criminally Indicted? I think that would be a great use of the, uh, of the U.S. House Judiciary Committee's time. It would, would have been very useful. It still would be very useful. But now, it seems, the U.S. Supreme Court may soon enough be deciding uh, this question for themselves, since that argument that, uh, that because of the OLC opinion, which says a sitting president cannot be indicted by federal prosecutors, that is the argument that is being used today by Donald Trump's lawyer t lawyers to argue that he he also may not be indicted by state prosecutors either. And because he cannot be indicted, he therefore cannot even be investigated for crimes by federal or state prosecutors. That is the theory that the president's lawyers are actually arguing in court. Also, his attorneys, uh, their argument uh, says that nobody else related to the president, his fa not his family, not his businesses. They may not be investigated either because that could ultimately to lead to charges against the president, which, as Donald Trump's attorneys argued again today in federal court before an appellate panel, is why his accounting firm, Mazars, must not be allowed to hand over eight years of tax returns to New York state investigators who are seeking those eight years of Donald Trump's tax returns in relation to his payoffs to porn star Stormy Daniels. Remember those payoffs to shut her up just prior to the November 2016 presidential election. And yes, his attorneys are actually arguing literally that if he murdered someone on Fifth Avenue, there is nothing that anyone could do about it because as president, he is, quote, absolute. He has absolute immunity 
from the law. As the New York Times reports today, a federal appeals panel on Wednesday expressed skepticism that President Trump had a right to block state prosecutors in Manhattan from enforcing a subpoena that sought his personal and corporate tax returns for the last eight years. The judges on a three-member panel in Manhattan peppered a lawyer for, for uh, Mr. Trump with questions expressing skepticism about the president's argument that he was immune from criminal investigation. A lower court judge earlier this month rejected that claim, which has not previously been tested in the courts. And that's just one of the reasons it was so maddening to me that Robert Mueller just rolled over for that OLC opinion without testing it, uh, you know, given the clear violations of criminal law that he was investigating for two years. The Times says the appeal by Mr. Trump's lawyers came after a lower court judge ruled on October 7 that the president's argument that he could not be investigated by a local prosecutor was, quote, repugnant to the nation's governmental structure and constitutional values. Yes, I agree with that lower court judge. That lower court's uh, judge's decision is what was uh, on trial, essentially, today in the appeals court. That same judge, by the way, went on in that ruling to excoriate the reliance on the OLC opinion, noting that it was just an opinion from a few DOJ attorneys, but that it was being treated as if it, quote, had been etched by the United States Supreme Court itself. Well, it hasn't been, and the matter has never been adjudicated by any court until now, much less the Supreme Court, but that may happen soon. Using the hopefully absurd hypothetical that I have been citing myself for many months and years now, uh, Carrie Dunn, the Manhattan District Attorney's general counsel, cited the president's famous claim that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue without losing any political support. Mr. Dunn asked what would happen in that extreme scenario. Would we have to wait for an impeachment proceeding to be initiated, he asked. Obviously, we wouldn't. But that is what we are left with with this OLC opinion. Later in the uh, in the hearing on Wednesday, Judge Denny, J Denny Chin posed the Fifth Avenue hypothetical to William Consovoy, a lawyer for Mr. Trump, and asked for his view. Here's part of that exchange. It's clear that the district attorney just wants the president's tax returns. Uh, we are objecting to the entirety of the subpoena. It is the entire subpoena, this entire fishing expedition, that is improper here. There is no argument, and my friend, and I give him credit, has tried mightily to explain is why... It, is it your view that... They're not seeking the tax returns for a legitimate investigatory purpose, and they are doing this just to try to embarrass the president? I mean, is that the argument? We, we believe there is evidence of that, yes. Um, and what's your view on, on the, the Fifth Avenue example? The local authorities couldn't investigate? They couldn't do anything about it? I, I think once the, a president is uh, removed from office, the, any local authority, this is not a permanent immunity. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm talking about while in office. No, that's the hypo there. I, I, Nothing could be done. That's your position. That is correct. That is correct. Yep. No matter how heinous the crime, a sitting president cannot be prosecuted or even investigated. And neither can any of his friends, families, co-workers or associates. He could mow down uh, not just a person on Fifth Avenue. He could mow down dozens of people, hundreds of people on Fifth Avenue. 
And there is nothing that could be done about it because he is the president, according to the president's attorneys. The uh, appellate panel did not immediately indicate when it was going to issue a ruling on this, but uh, Judge Robert Katzman, the uh, appeals court chief judge, signaled that he and other judges understood the gravity of the matter and that they were unlikely to have the final say on it. Katzman said early in the arguments that this case seems bound for the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. He uh, told the, uh, the the attorney, the teams of attorneys that uh, we have a feeling you may be seeing each other again in Washington. Now, there has been a deal struck with the district attorney's office. They will allow the president time to seek a speedy review of the appellate ruling, whatever it is, in the Supreme Court on the condition that uh, they ask the court to hear the case in its current term, which ends in June. So they're not going to let them get away with this forever. Yeah, trying to delay it so they can run out the clock. But they can run out the clock at least until June, and then we're right up before the elections. Uh, In any event, that's the agreement from uh, District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr. He has agreed not to seek enforcement of the subpoena until the Supreme Court either refuses to hear Trump's case or they issue an opinion, whichever one comes first. The D.A. has been investigating whether any New York state laws were broken when Trump and his company, uh, the Trump Organization, reimbursed Michael Cohen, the president's lawyer, and fixer for payments that he made to the porn film actress Stormy Daniels, who had said she had an affair with Trump. Trump went into federal court last month trying to block the district's, uh, district attorney's subpoena. And remember, this isn't a subpoena of him. It's a subpoena of a third party, his accountant's firm, uh, Mazar, Mazars USA. The president argued that the Constitution prevented a sitting president from being, quote, investigated, indicted, or otherwise subjected to a criminal process. The subpoena, his attorneys are arguing, is a bad faith effort to harass the president by obtaining and exposing his confidential financial information. They argue it is not a legitimate attempt to enforce New York uh, law. After uh, the lower court judge, Victor Marrero of the United States District Court in Manhattan, issued a 75-page ruling rejecting that argument, the president's lawyers then appealed to the uh, Second Circuit, and that's what happened on Wednesday. They contended that Trump's claim of absolute immunity was meritorious. They said the framers of the Constitution, recognizing the need for a strong chief executive, created a process, the process of impeachment for investigating and removing a president in a matter that would, quote, embody the will of the people. And that, they say, is that. That is the only way a president can be held accountable for anything. That and at the ballot box, I guess. The uh, Justice Department also weighed in in this matter in Manhattan, uh, led by uh, Trump's crooked attorney general, Bill Barr. They asked the court uh, to stop the release of Trump's tax returns. They reiterated that longstanding position that a sitting president may not be charged or prosecuted. Therefore, he can't be investigated. Therefore, nobody he knows or works with can also be investigated under this theory. D.A. Vance's office, uh, citing Trump's arguments in the case, told the appeals court in a brief that Trump's, quote, core position on every one of these matters is that the U.S. presidency places him beyond the reach of the law. 
which is absurd. And uh, while I don't suspect the uh, three-judge appeals court panel, which heard the case uh, on Wednesday, uh, I don't suspect they're going to be any friendlier to the president's argument than the lower court judge was, the one who scoffed at it in his 75-page ruling, describing it as repugnant to the nation's governmental structure and constitutional values. Well, that's exactly the reason that you steal Supreme Courts as the Republicans and Donald Trump have now done. So we will see. We will see if they, the Supreme Court, is willing to go on record supporting this absurd argument from the president. They very well might. But remember, they are at least smart enough, I think, to know that whatever they rule here will also apply to the next Democratic president. I, I would think they would realize that. So they may want to be careful about how much they're willing to go into the bag for this clearly criminal presidency. I, you know, I, I don't know if you can. I cannot imagine. Uh, well, maybe I can. I, I it just can't. I don't want to imagine, I guess, that Justice uh, Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, would agree that a president may shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and that there's nothing that law enforcement can do about it. But I have, you know, misunderestimated John Roberts before. Indeed. So. I, I have enough imagination to be able to imagine that both Roberts would say, sure, the president is immune, and then switch and find some way to change it if it replies Comes to, a, to Democratic a Democratic president. Yeah, I know. I'm sure they'll find some way to do it. Uh, yeah. I, I One thing, however, I am glad uh, that this matter, uh, in this uh, case at least, that this absurd OLC opinion may finally be seeing the light of day in a court of law even if it's uh, before our now illegitimate U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, at least, uh, you know, someone is looking at this thing. Speaking of illegitimate, there was a bit of a, a fake riot on Capitol Hill today staged by Republicans in the U.S. House as both they and the president become more and more desperate, seemingly by the hour at this point, to come up with something, to come up with anything to try and defend the president against the very serious charges coming to light now against him during the uh, ongoing impeachment inquiry. The scramble to defend the president and more is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Man, this is getting nuts. This is getting crazy. This is just... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, okay, so doing our best to uh, to stay focused. Focus, focus, Brad. Focus. Trying to keep up with this terrible roller coaster. Yeah, it really News is. News breaking uh, constantly. Okay, so on yesterday's program, we detailed some of the remarkable information that's coming out of the uh, that was coming out of the U.S. House impeachment inquiry hearings as Donald Trump's top envoy to Ukraine, a man by the name of Bill Taylor, a lifelong civil servant, 
uh, who served like under 50, uh, 55 Democratic uh, presidents over like 50 years, uh, including as ambassador to Ukraine under George W. Bush. He was testifying on Tuesday in excruciating detail about his concerns in recent months after he took over in Ukraine for Marie Yovanovitch, the other career State Department official who had been serving as U.S. ambassador to the embattled nation of Ukraine after she was pushed out by what Taylor described as a, quote, highly irregular diplomatic operation that included Trump donor turned U.S. ambassador to the EU, Gordon Sondland. Uh, Ukraine, for the record, is not part of the EU. Uh, this uh, uh, irregular, highly irregular group also included uh, special Ukraine envoy Kurt Volker, Energy Secretary Rick Perry, for some reason, and yes, Donald Trump's personal lawyer and uh, former New York City Mayor uh, Rudy Giuliani. So he was expressing, Bill Taylor was talking about his concerns when he took over from Yovanovitch. And uh, figured out what was actually going on on the ground in Ukraine, which he thought was weird, quote, weird at first. And then it got, quote, crazy. In short, Taylor, in his 15 page opening statement based on copious, detailed, contemporaneous notes that he had taken since his arrival in Ukraine in the spring, he testified that he eventually came to learn that uh, through this, quote, weird and highly irregular diplomatic channel that Donald Trump himself had insisted that Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, quote, get to a microphone and pledge that he would investigate Trump rival Joe Biden and a conspiracy theory concerning Ukraine's involvement in the 2016 election before the White House would agree to release nearly $400 million in military assistance to Ukraine to aid in their ongoing battle with Russian-backed forces in the eastern part of their country. So Taylor had told uh, the Irregulars that the scheme that the White House was pulling off was crazy, and he even feared that even if Zelensky made these uh, public statements that the White House was requiring, even if he did so to Trump's satisfaction, that Trump still might not turn over the congressionally allocated funding, which uh, Taylor said would make Russia very happy and make him quit. His testimony rocked the entire impeachment saga, I think, on Tuesday and has unleashed since no small amount of desperation from the White House, from his defenders on Fox News who are trying to figure out what to do and how to spin this, and from at least some of the far-right Republicans in the U.S. House who are still willing to go to the mat to defend this guy. The uh, scramble to come up with a coherent defense, uh, frankly, has not been pretty. It has been very confusing for me to try to make sense of today so I could explain it to you. Because, uh, I mean, they are grabbing for straws here. They don't seem to have, uh, you know, the White House has yet to put together an impeachment war room. They don't have a co coherent narrative. I think, frankly, their whole policy has been incoherent. That's mm -hmm. why it's so difficult for them to defend this criminal wrongdoing. Exactly. So they're coming up with anything they can. Countermeasures uh, left and right. Making stuff up, basically, that uh, falls apart almost as quick as they put it out there. Uh, but uh, that's the idea. Put out anything they can. And if uh, what they put out is not 
convincing, well, at least there's enough smoke out there that it will confuse people and we'll all throw up our hands and walk away. And maybe many will. But, uh, okay, let's start with at least the immediate White House response late last night to reports about Taylor's, quote, damning testimony, as many Democrats who were uh, in the room described it. The White House attacked the acting ambassador to Ukraine, Bill Taylor, on Tuesday after uh, the shocking testimony detailing Donald Trump's Ukraine scheme. Yes, they went straight after the ambassador himself, who, by the way, was sent there by Donald Trump. Let's see. President Trump has done nothing wrong. This is a coordinated smear campaign from far left lawmakers and radical unelected bureaucrats waging war on the Constitution. That, according to White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham in a statement insisting uh, once again that there was, quote, no quid pro quo. So she is calling Bill Taylor here a radical, unelected bureaucrat who is waging war on the Constitution. She added, today was just more triple hearsay and selective leaks from Democrats' politically motivated closed door and secretive hearing. Okay, uh, so not all Republicans were bent on defending the president from the uh, startling testimony of the respected elder statesman Bill Taylor, who was anything but a radical bureaucrat waging war on the Constitution. So not all of the Republicans were defending them, uh, defending this. Most of them were, but uh, at least those who were willing to speak out loud, but not all. John Thune, remarkably enough, the second highest ranking Republican in the Senate. He said on Wednesday that the impression coming from the top Ukraine diplomat Bill Taylor's testimony is, quote, not a good one. Speaking with reporters at the Capitol on Wednesday, he had this to say. The picture um, coming out of it, based on the reporting that we've seen, is, uh, yeah, I would say is uh, uh, not a good one. But I would say also that, again, until we have a process that allows for um, everybody to see this in full transparency, it's pretty hard to, to draw any hard, fast conclusions. So uh, he, he hedges his bet there a little oh, yeah. bit. But uh, he says that this picture is not a good one. He does not go out and call Bill Taylor a radical hell-bent on destroying the Constitution or whatever it is the White House tried to do. Thune's statement uh, is quite noteworthy, coming from a high-ranking Republican. Again, he's the second-highest-ranking Republican in the U.S. Senate, even as many of his peers have stayed in lockstep with Donald Trump or uh, not wanted to talk about this at all. Thune's superior in the Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell, the majority leader, also distanced himself from the president this week. Uh, he flatly contradicted Trump's claim that the two had discussed Donald Trump's infamous July call with Ukrainian President Zelensky, in which notes from that call reveal that Trump pressured Zelensky to meet with Rudy Giuliani and Bill Barr and not help and, and help them with an investigation uh, into Trump's political rival Joe Biden and to look into the conspiracy theory that Ukraine, not Russia, was somehow behind manipulation of the 2016 election on behalf of Hillary Clinton, not Donald Trump. Trump claimed he spoke with McConnell after the release of that call memo a few weeks back and that McConnell 
deemed it, quote, the most innocent phone call he'd ever heard. That's how Donald Trump characterized the conversation with McConnell. That's what Trump said that McConnell said. said. And what did McConnell say? Well, he said he does not recall having any conversation with Donald Trump about that call. And when asked if he was suggesting that Trump was lying about their conversation, Mitch McConnell said, quote, you'd have to ask the president about that. So he did not even didn't even try at this point. Good old upstanding McConnell, though, wouldn't even say he lied. So that's the that's the good news uh, for the president. That's about it. Uh, seeing as is how the Senate will be voting on whether to remove him from office if the House passes articles of impeachment based on all of this. So far, only a couple of U.S. senators have expressed some concerns. But overall, uh, this is not good. Trump's hard right supporters in the U.S. House, they are not giving up here without a fight, even as Trump has failed to set up this coordinated White House war room to defend himself. Some House Republicans are came up with one way to try, if not defend the president, then at least delay this political train wreck of a presidency uh, and the impeachment inquiry into it and and uh, to bring attention to their complaints about the process. So remember the Brooks Brothers riot? Do you remember it? Does? Oh, yes. Can you explain it in, uh, in short term? No, actually, you'll probably do uh, it faster do it. than right. me. But. Yeah, it was the 2000 election and uh, there was one of the counties. I can't even remember which one it was. Uh, Volusia or Miami-Dade, I think, was uh, recounting the paper ballots back then in Florida in the presidential election and this fake uh, group of irate uh, men mostly stormed the counting room claiming that the counters were somehow cheating and changing the results and they made it look like this was a grassroots uprising, a riot from the people of Florida who were just furious and who have had it you know, with this uh, with the schemes that were being pulled off by Democrats in the counting room. And of course, as we would later come to learn, while it did stop the counting uh, for a while, uh, as we would later come to learn, uh, all of those people, they were not grassroots Floridians. They were, you know, mostly out of state Republican operatives who had and, been flown in. And congressional staffers from Republican offices. Correct. Yes. Yeah. They had taken off their ties, rolled up their sleeves, tried to make it look like they were just angry people. Well, anyway, that was the uh, came to be known as the Brooks Brothers riot. Well, about 15 or 20 members of the hard right Freedom Caucus on Wednesday. That's the caucus that used to call themselves the Tea Party Caucus. They were led by Congressman Matt Gates of Florida in another faux riot today which some folks are, in fact, calling the uh, Brooks Brothers Riot 2.0. According to The Times, about two dozen House Republicans chanting, let us in, let us in, tried to storm and, in fact, did storm into the secure room, the so-called SCIF, uh, or Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility that is in the basement of the U.S. Uh, Capitol, uh, they stormed in uh, to this room where a Defense Department official had arrived on Wednesday to testify in the impeachment inquiry, and then they refused to leave even after they were turned back by Congressman Adam Schiff, the Democrat of California, and the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, which was leading this particular deposition. 
it was uh, one of these uh, 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 depositions that we have seen over the past week or two, which is being carried out by three different U.S. House committees at the same time. The lawmakers, most of whom do not sit on the committees conducting the inquiry and are therefore not entitled to attend its hearings, the Republican ones, said they were protesting the closed-door nature of the proceedings which have been open to members of both parties who sit on those three committees, just not all of the other Republicans who are in the House. Those three committees, by the way, are the Intelligence, Judiciary, and Foreign Affairs Committees. So there are a lot of Republicans who have been in on this testimony. Uh, you, you know, you keep hearing this is one of the defenses they're trying that, oh, this is private. This is a secret chamber, I think is what they called it. This is Adam Schiff's secret chamber. You mean that they're lying about they well, are lying yeah, about yeah. this because I think the House's rules actually say, hey, if you're not on the committee, you don't get to come into the secret uh, uh, to the secret chamber. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, these are. Well, I'll get to those rules in a minute because, uh, yeah, this is not unusual to have closed door hearings and, and that the committees who are carrying out the hearings are the only ones who are there. Now, it's not just, by the way, not just the Republican members from those three committees who are there, also their staffs, their attorneys. They're all participating along with the Democrats in these closed door hearings where, in some cases, classified information is being discussed. That's the other reason for the closed door hearing in this case. But uh, Congressman Gates, Matt Gates, and the uh, other couple dozen who he convinced to storm the room, I guess, uh, they're not on any of those committees, but they demand that they be allowed to sit in anyway on the committee hearings and these depositions. The private question and answer sessions, according to the Times, have produced a stream of compelling testimony from government witnesses much of it confirming and expanding on the intelligence whistleblower complaint that touched off the impeachment inquiry. The chaotic scene today in the bowels of the Capitol unfolded as the panel was getting ready to hear from Laura Cooper. She's the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Russia, Ukraine and Eurasia. Uh, they were able to halt that session, at least for a while. Cooper was to be the first Defense Department official to testify in the impeachment inquiry about the pressure campaign and the withholding of military aid to Ukraine, which the Pentagon has determined was unlawful. Congressman Schiff summoned the sergeant-at-arms to disperse the uninvited Republican guests, some of whom brought cell phones with them into the room, even though they are forbidden in the skiff, in this uh, secure uh, room. That reportedly forced a security sweep of the room eventually, as even one of the Republicans, Congressman Mike Conway of Texas, started collecting the electronics of his colleagues Belatedly, he tried to collect the cell phones from the from the members since he knew they were not allowed to be in the room at all with those things. The uh, Republicans are hammering the Democrats for limiting attendance at these hearings to members of those three committees, though, as the time po Times points out, it is common practice for sensitive congressional investigations to be conducted behind closed doors, at least in preliminary stages. House Republicans, they note, did just that when they controlled the chamber and opened an inquiry into the 2012 attack 
on the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Marcy, Remember their secret hearings? Indeed. Marcy Wheeler, our friend uh, mm-hmm. who tweets as Empty Wheel, she said, Remember, Republicans conducted four years of investigations into Hillary Clinton because of some emails that were not treated securely. Many of those same Republicans just took their cell phones into the skiff. Yes. The uh, secret room. Yep. Uh, Democrats uh, said they plan to hold open hearings after the committees finish uh, with their depositions and that they intend to make public the complete transcripts of all of this witness testimony after reviewing uh, the testimony to make sure any classified material is not shared publicly. Democrats argue that lacking any defense of the substance of Trump's actions, Republicans are attacking them over process. That sounds about right. Uh, They held a news conference before they tried to barge in. They demanded access to the transcripts. They denounced the inquiry before the news cameras in hyperbolic terms. Congressman Andy uh, Biggs, a Republican of Arizona, called it a, quote, Soviet-style impeachment process. Oh, good Lord. Did they have impeachment processes in the old uh, in the old Soviet Union? I, I don't remember. Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio, the uh, top Republican on the House Oversight Committee, said the demonstration was indicative of a broader frustration with the closed door interviews. Quote, it's finally reached a, a point where members just said that they're so frustrated at the idea that they can't be a part of this and see what's going on. He said, so we're at a standstill and, of course, bringing the proceedings to a standstill. That was actually the point of the entire affair. Democratic Congressman Ted Lieu of California called the uh, said the uh, protesting Republicans were trying to stymie the investigation. He said they violated House rules by trying to crash committees, which they don't sit on. All this is an attack right on the investigation. And so when you don't have laws or the facts, You attack and disrupt the process. It was also a blatant attempt at witness intimidation, if you ask me, trying to make it scarier for these uh, these witnesses that have been called in. And I also want to note BuzzFeed reports that 12 of the Republicans who stormed into it Mm -hmm. are actually already members of those committees, the Oversight and Foreign Affairs. So they could be there. They could have been there. But instead, they stood outside and said, let us in to these committees that were already allowed they're allowed to go in yeah exactly which uh, marcy wheeler uh, who you mentioned uh, also points out uh, over at her blog she writes in short a bunch of republican congressmen and a handful of women are staging a faux riot in order to prevent the department of defense from telling congress how the white house prevented them from following the law that prohibits the White House from withholding funds without a good reason that they share with Congress. So the White House can do it if there's a good reason, but they have to share that reason with Congress, and they have not done so because there is no good reason other than, you know, Donald Trump wanted to get some political help for his 2020 campaign and use $400 million of taxpayer funding to do it. Uh, Marcy goes on to write, even these people's former colleagues, a colleague, uh, she writes, uh, referencing former Tea Party congressman, now acting White House chief of staff Mick Mulvaney, has admitted that that is a crime. They can't do that. They can't withhold that money for no reason. 
He says, she, she writes, I know this entire inquiry has stirred up a lot of partisan bickering, but it is stunning that Republicans in Congress, including minority whip Steve Scalise, who was part of this group, are so desperate to protect Trump that they are trying to prevent Congress from asserting its power of the purse. Don't forget what all of this is about. All of this is about the congressionally uh, allocated $400 million, which Congress, including these Republicans, voted should be given to Ukraine. And these Republicans are going in there and saying, no, it shouldn't be. We should let the president keep us from allocating taxpayer money, despite uh, the Constitution being quite clear that Congress has the power of the purse, not the White House. She says there could be no more symbolic self-emasculation than this faux riot. And yet these members of Congress apparently are willing to trade away their own power like this. She also notes that uh, the rules that you mentioned, Des, that uh, Adam Schiff is using for this inquiry are similar to the rules that Mark Meadows, who's head of the so-called Freedom uh, Caucus, uh, the rules that uh, Meadows had used for the investigation of the Russian uh, probe, the Robert Mueller probe, that he and Matt Gates and uh, Jim Jordan uh, and Trey Gowdy did last year. Same rules. Same rules. Behind closed doors. I don't remember the Democrats storming the gates for that. So, yeah, this is performance art. It's blatantly hypo uh, hypocritical performance art at that. But it does suggest that these guys are very... Very concerned about what is now happening here, even if they still have no clear idea what the hell to do about it. Uh, before I get to the break, uh, yeah, I know I don't have time. Matt Whitaker, <laughs> former attorney general, uh, went on Fox News to say that abuse of power is not a crime. Good luck with that with that argument. But uh, one other defense that I want to get to, because Republicans are trying basically to offer anything they can come up with in response to Taylor's testimony that Trump personally directed this quid pro quo pressure campaign to withhold this military aid. And so uh, since but what they're claiming now, one of the claims they've been making among many is that Zelensky, that it could not be a quid pro quo because Zelensky did not know that military assistance was being withheld during their uh, that infamous July 27 phone call that uh, Zelensky had with Donald Trump. And because Zelensky didn't know it couldn't be quid pro quo. Does that make sense? Yeah, he does. You know, he, he, so. That's that's one of the claims that they're now making. Well, even that defense appear, appears now to be falling apart uh, in the wake of an exclusive from AP just uh, an hour or so before we went on air today. They write more than two months before that July phone call that launched the impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump, Ukraine's newly elected leader, uh, Zelensky was already worried about pressure from the U.S. president to investigate his Democratic rival, Joe, uh, Joe Biden. Vladimir Zelensky gathered a small group of advisors on May 7 in Kiev for a meeting that was supposed to be about his nation's energy needs. Instead, the group spent most of the three hour discussion talking about how to navigate the insistence from Trump and his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, for a probe and how to avoid becoming entangled in the American elections. That, according to three people familiar with the details of the meeting, 
Uh, they spoke to the AP on condition of anonymity because of the diplomatic sensitivity of the issue, which has roiled U.S.-Ukrainian relations. The meeting came before Zelensky was inaugurated, but about two weeks after Donald Trump called to offer his congratulations on the night of the Ukrainian leader's April 21 election. The uh, full details of what the two leaders discussed in that first phone call on Easter Sunday, that stuff has never been disclosed. So it would be interesting to get a look at that phone call as well, if there are notes. The uh, three people's recollections of what happened in that May meeting, uh, they differ somewhat on Zelensky's um, on whether Zelensky specifically cited that first call with Trump as the source of his unease over all of this. But all three of their accounts show the Ukrainian president-elect was wary of Trump's push for an investigation into the former vice president and his son. Either way, the newly elected leader of a uh, country wedged between Russia and the U.S.-aligned NATO democracies, AP writes, knew early on that vital military support would depend on whether he was willing to choose a side in an American political tussle. The White House would not comment on whether Trump demanded an investigation back during this first call uh, uh, in, uh, in April, April 21. They've offered only a bare-bones public readout of the, uh, of the April call, saying that Trump urged Zelensky and the Ukrainian people to implement reforms to increase prosperity and, quote, root out corruption. But, of course, in the intervening months, Trump and his proxies have frequently used that phrase, the word corruption, to reference the months-long effort to get the Ukrainians to investigate Democrats. Trump has said he would release a transcript of that first call. But the White House had no comment on Wednesday on when or if that might actually happen. Is he going to release that one, too, you think? Because the first release uh, of that July call, that's not gone so well for him. So it would be kind of surprising uh, if he actually decided to make that same mistake again. But you know what? Donald Trump, he loves making the same mistakes over and over and over again. So maybe he will release it. If not, uh, I guess Congressman Schiff will fire up the subpoenas. Okay, quick break, and we'll come back with, uh, oh, something else entirely. <laughs> much happier, much funnier. I don't think it's happier or funnier. Uh, not so it? much. Uh, but it was another hearing going on in the U.S. House today? Yes. Today. Okay, yes. I haven't had a chance to look at this. Uh, Desi Doyen has. It has to do with, what, Exxon and fraud? Yes. All right, that's coming up right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. It is kind of a roller coaster. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I have been uh, trying to make sense 
Uh, all day of everything going on in the uh, impeachment inquiry and uh, the uh, court case in New York against Donald Trump uh, and his taxes and all of that. So uh, anything else going on? I have no idea about Desi Doyen. On the <laughs> other hand, you said you had something that is that is worth covering here. Well, Are you sure? We're going to find out. I think it's important right. uh, today in the U.S. House. The House Oversight Committee held a hearing called Examining the Oil Industry's Efforts to Suppress the Truth About climate change. Oh, and this yeah. is in regards to ExxonMobil and the oil industry all banding together decades ago to hide the science on climate change, to confuse the public, and spent literally millions of dollars over decades in order to uh, fund think tanks and research groups and, uh, and scientists to try to put out false science that says that climate change is a hoax or that it's not now, real or that it's not is, bad. And, and, and this is what is is not ExxonMobil is currently on trial for in New York exactly State. Exactly this. Yes, in New we, York State. Right. We reported on it in our previous Green News report about how ExxonMobil is now on trial for violating securities law mm-hmm. for failing to inform its own investors about the costs of science, about the cost of climate change, because it already knew the science decades ago. So is and this and this uh, hearing was in the Oversight Committee. Oversight is one of the committees that is not doing the impeachment. Correct. And so I'm guessing Republicans didn't even want to be there. That freed them up to go and storm the skiff in the basement. Uh, in the impeachment inquiry, yeah, just so a guess. It was a fascinating hearing, and uh, this particular clip right now is from Dr. Marty Hoffert. He was a consultant. He's a climate scientist who consulted with Exxon in the 1980s, helped Exxon's own scientists conduct experiments and understand the science behind climate change. The idea that has been now proven that burning fossil fuels releases CO2 into the atmosphere, and that is warming the planet, and that will have very dire consequences. So this is what Dr. Marty Hoffert said in his opening statement to Congress. I believe that having Exxon scientists on public papers acknowledging the reality of climate change could help reduce the polarization surrounding climate change science. And third, I hoped that the work would help to persuade Exxon to develop, to invest in developing energy solutions the world needed. I have much to say on this topic, but that's not the focus of this meeting. I want to emphasize that although my experience with Exxon researchers was positive, I was greatly distressed by the climate science denial program campaign that Exxon's front office launched around the time I stopped working as a consultant, but not collaborator, for Exxon. The advertisements that Exxon ran in major newspapers raising doubt about climate change were contradicted by the scientific work we had done and continued to do. Exxon was publicly promoting views that its own scientists knew were wrong, and we knew that because we were the major group working on this. This was immoral and has greatly set back efforts to address climate change. I cannot see into Exxon management's heart Whatever its intent, willful ignorance, stymieing an effective response to preserve quarterly profits, or simply an incomprehensible refusal to incorporate their own world-class researchers' results into their business plans, which is demonstrably counterproductive long-term, what they did was wrong. They spread doubt about the dangers of climate change when its researchers were confirming how serious a threat it was. 
The effect of this disinformation was to delay action internally and externally. They deliberately created doubt when internal research confirmed how serious a threat it was. As a result, in my opinion, homes and livelihoods will likely be destroyed and lives lost. Thank you. No, thank you. So that was Exxon's own scientist. Yes, Dr. Marky, Dr. Marty Hoffert. Uh, saying that it was immoral what Exxon did. Yes. That's kind of astonishing. We're, uh, although it's, it's true and obvious, but where did you see any questioning? Did uh, or or am I right? Did the Republicans all scram to try Not to go? Not all harass? of the Republicans. Yeah. There were Republicans in there, like uh, Representative Chip Roy of Texas, who attempted to still try to pretend that there was some kind of question about the science <laughs> and make it sound like it was a hoax or that this was all politically motivated. They tried, as they often do, to pretend like this isn't real and isn't happening, and that Exxon and the oil industry did not lie to the public and endanger all life on earth for money. Despite the fact that we have these Exxon scientists in front of our eyes who used to work for Exxon 10, 20, 30 years ago. Exactly. Who all saw this, who all warned them about climate change, told them the science was clear at the time, and then they subsequently spent millions of dollars to lie to the American people and endanger, uh, frankly, humanity for the next... Many centuries. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Unbelievable. Thank you very much for bringing that out. Desi Doyen, our producer. Uh, nice happy break from uh, all of the other stuff we've been covering, <laughs> right? Uh, anyway, thank you very much, Des. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download them all for free at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email if you like. I am Bradcast at bradblog.com, and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I hope you'll find, follow, and share everything that we do there as well. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who help keep Desi and I going over your public airwaves. What, 10 years now, 10 and a half years of the Green News Report? Yep. Coming up on our 1000th episode. God knows how many years of the Bradcast and the Bradblog.com. So thank you. Uh, to those who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep going. We will keep going until tomorrow when we hope to see you right here on the same Brad time, same Brad channel. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>